Amen. So turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're just going to continue on in our series here. Uh, We're working through the book of 1 Corinthians verse by every single verse. And this morning we arrived at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 5 and 7 really are going to be our key verses. But I want to read to you beginning in verse 4 down through verse 9 and just remind you of where we're at. Remind you of what it is. Uh, that we're talking about in the context of our verses and what Paul wrote. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, reading down through verse 9. Paul said, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And this verse is one of our, this verse in verse 7 will be our key verses this morning. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Remember verse 6 is that parenthetical statement right in the middle where Paul just reminds them that that the testimony of Christ was confirmed in them. He preached the gospel. They believed the gospel. That's verse 6. So right in the middle, he wedges that in there. But verse 5 and verse 7 are really a continuous thought where he says that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, verse 7, so that you are not lacking... In any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Last week as I was preaching, my last message that I preached in Ghana, we were celebrating the one year anniversary of a church there that we've, we've helped get underway and we were celebrating also International Missions Day and I was preaching to them a message and I got to the very end and something came to my mind in that message that really, honestly, I hadn't thought about in years. And it was a time years ago, I'm not even sure what year it was, but it was a long time ago when we were in Ghana on a trip. I'm not sure who was even with me on this trip, but we had gone to... to, to um, visit a village in the Volta region called Chiveto. And we walked into the village that day unannounced. I don't know that anyone knew we were coming, but our guide took us there. And we walked in unannounced. And it just so happened that we walked into the village and right into the court of the village, the middle of the village where the king's area was. And we walked right into the middle of their annual day of sacrifice. You can imagine it was a bit awkward for us as we arrived there that day. And the king of the village was in the process, as we arrived there, of offering sacrifices on this altar in the middle of the village. He was sacrificing chickens, and there were other things in there already, and there was blood all over the altar. And we stood, and we watched, and they allowed us to watch. And then when we got done, we we talked to them a little bit. We arranged a meeting, and then we went back a few hours later, or the next day, I'm not sure. Uh, But we went back, and we sat down with the king, and we began to talk to him. And we began to talk to him about what he was doing that day. And we shared with him about what we believe about sacrifice. And then we were able to talk to him about the gospel. I wanted to share the gospel. And we talked to him about God is holy and, and man is sinful. And because of our sin, we deserve the wrath of God. But God, in his great love for us, sent Jesus, his own son, to pay the price for our sins. And if we accept that sacrifice, trust in Jesus... Follow him as Lord. Every person who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So we share the gospel with the king. And to my enormous surprise, he responded by saying, oh, yeah, 
yeah, I'm already a Christian. And I thought to myself, that's really strange. And I said to the king as respectfully as I could, how can you be a Christian if earlier we stood with you while you were sacrificing, making blood sacrifices to your ancestral gods? How can you be a Christian? And he went on to explain how somebody had come there long ago and shared Jesus with them and And he decided that in his own way, he would just add Jesus to everything else that he believed. And so not only was he practicing voodoo and tribal religions, but also he believed that he would just add being a Christian to the mix. And so he thought he was a Christian. Now, the king had a serious problem, didn't he? He had a serious problem because he thought he was a Christian. But he really had no understanding of what it actually meant to be a Christian. And Paul, when he's writing to these people in Corinth and other places in the New Testament, you can feel that he's laboring to help people understand what does it really mean to be a Christian? What is this really all about? Because there's a lot of danger for us. And there may be even people in this room who believe that they're Christians. But in reality, we have very little understanding of what it actually means to be a Christian. And so as Paul does, I I also want to labor with you to help you understand what is it when we say we're a Christian? What are we talking about? And that's what Paul does early on in these verses. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we walked through beginning in verse 2. He's reminding the people of their identity, who they are. He says that this is the church. These are the called out ones, the ecclesia. We walked through that and what that word means. He says that they are sanctified. He's describing them in verse Two, those who are sanctified in Christ. And we know that that means that they've been set aside by sacrifice. They literally, literally by the sacrifice of Jesus applied in our lives. And then we've been set aside to special service in Him. And then he says that they're called to be saints. And they're called to be holy. That they're called to live differently. Remember we talked about living counterculturally, separate from our culture. And then he says, and with all everywhere who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the Lordship of Christ. You cannot be, truly be a Christian who's living a life that's pleasing to God unless you can say that Jesus is Lord of my life. He can't only be Savior. He has to be Lord. And so he's telling them who they are. And then in verse 4, he goes on to begin talking about our benefits package. Remember I said that a few weeks ago? That when you became a Christian, you got some benefits. And he's walking us through. And we said we could do this past, present, and future. So in the past, in verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that was given you in Christ Jesus. So in the past, when you came to Christ, you became a recipient of God's grace. That is really, really unbelievably good news. That you as an enemy of God, in your sin, opposed to God and deserving and by nature a child of wrath, have received the grace of God. That's our past. And even you could say it's our present day by day. We receive new grace in some sense. But in our present, he begins to tell us about what are the benefits that we have now. And look at verse 5. He says that you in every way you've been enriched. So, so right now we're being enriched in Him in all speech and knowledge. And I don't want to spend too much time on that verse, but one thing I do want to say is that there's, 
some linguistic evidence there that what Paul's really saying is that now that you've come to Christ, you've been enriched in all speech and all knowledge, and that enriching is sort of a, a strengthening of the gifts that God had already placed in you the day that you were born. You're being enriched. So, so really, you'll never reach your potential in life unless you're in Christ. You may be gifted. You may have certain things in your life that are true, but they'll never really be enriched and built up, and you'll never reach your full potential unless they're in Christ. But then in verse 7, he says this. He says, So that you are not lacking, present tense. You are not lacking in any gift. Let's just stop right there. If you're using an older version of the ESV Bible, I'm reading from the ESV this morning. I know a lot of you read from that version, but if you're using an older version of that, you might see the word spiritual gift there. You might say, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. They've updated that and just put the word gift there because that's what the Greek says. It doesn't say spiritual gift, it says gift. But the word lends itself for us to understand that these are specifically gifts that do come from God. The word's charisma. It's a special gift of grace or a gifting that comes from God. So he's saying that you, listen to this statement, to the church in Corinth, you lack no gift from God. And that to me, I want you to understand that for years, since I began pastoring and thinking about the church, this statement has been one of the most Shocking statements to me in the New Testament. That Paul would say to the Corinthian church, you are not lacking in any gift. It shocks me because the church at Corinth was a perpetual mess. They never got it right. Not after Paul preached to them initially, nor after Paul wrote to them the first time. Or Paul wrote to them the second time, his tearful letter, which we don't have in the New Testament. It's referenced in the New Testament. No, the third time. And even beyond that, even after long after Paul was gone, people in the church and church fathers continued to write letters to this church because they just stayed in a state of being a mess. When Paul writes to them, it says, and we'll see this moving on in a couple weeks, that there was division in the church. They were plagued by division in the church. In chapter 5, one of the strangest passages in the New Testament, we see the church there has become so accepting of sexual immorality that the people, the pagans around them, are even beginning to look at them and say, even we're not like them. Imagine if the world was looking at us and saying, even we don't do things like that. This is the church at Corinth. Their worship services had become wild and disorderly affairs and people were going to the Lord's Supper and they were getting drunk and they were getting they were feasting there at the Lord's Supper while some people were being excluded altogether. I mean the place really was a disaster, but in spite of all of that, you have to understand this in the context of all of that, in spite of all of that, Paul says to them, You are not lacking in any gift. Think about that. If we ask the question, what was wrong with the church there? We can say there's a lot of things wrong with the church. But one thing that wasn't wrong was how they'd been gifted by God. 
I mean, think of this. Are y'all still with me? And just think, I've been preaching in Ghana all week. It's not still and quiet like this. You guys are killing me. You're killing me. But just think of this. Think of the application or the lesson here for us. I mean, are there some things wrong with our church? Yes. This church is my life. I've examined it inside and out. Yes, there are things wrong with our church. And by the way, if you're visiting with us, there are things wrong with your church too. And there's things wrong with every other church in the world. But I want you to know that what's wrong with this church is not that God has somehow withheld something from us that we need. You with me? Like, here's, here's another way I want to put it for you individually, for me individually. Is there something wrong with you? Yes. And there's something wrong with me. There's a lot wrong with me. Yeah. I thought that was coming from there, but thank you, Tina. Thank you. There is, I mean, there's plenty wrong. And I have all kinds of things that I could point to in my life and say, these things aren't good. And you could say in your own life that there are places in your own life where you're frustrated spiritually, where you feel like you're not growing spiritually, where you just wish you could arrive spiritually. And you're saying, what's wrong with me? I can tell you this. It is not that God has withheld something from you. That You don't need to go through your life wondering if God will at some point pour out some kind of second blessing or extended grace or, or help you reach another level. Here he says to this group of messed up knuckleheads who couldn't get anything right, it seems, he says, you are not lacking anything that God could give you. That's amazing. That's amazing. You know, when I went to school, some of you remember this. I, I don't know that they don't do this anymore. I'm just assuming that this isn't a thing anymore. But when I went to school, if you did really well in certain things, they put you in gifted and talented class. You, do you remember? Do they do that anymore? They call it gifted and talented? I'm shocked by that. I Really, I'm not trying to make a joke. I'm just shocked that, I mean, I think it's fine. I think you should have to work for things and be recognized for things. But, but I want you to know as a Christian, when you become a Christian, you, you enter the gifted class. God has given you gifts. He's given us gifts. We're in the gifted program. And please listen to me. You've been equipped in every good way by God that He intends for you to be equipped. It's there in you. And the gifted class of people is not the class of people that teach you Sunday school or that preach to you on Sunday or anything like that. They're not the people who go on mission trips or the evangelists or or anything like that. They're not the people that teach VBS. That's not the gifted class. We, as those who belong to Christ, are gifted. We're not lacking any gift. Please understand that you've been gifted. And the Bible teaches us things about gifts that I want you to know. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. There you go. So we don't all have the same function. So though many, we are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts having gifts that differ according to the grace that was given to us. Let us use them. Now, there's a couple of things. 
They're both there. So don't go any further than that slide back there, Jesse, if you're back there. There you are. Two things that we learn from that passage of Scripture. One is that every believer is gifted. The language there is that every one of us is gifted. We all have gifts. We're members of one body, but every believer is gifted. And then that every believer is gifted uniquely. I love it. That's true. That he says we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So my gifts are different than your gifts. And your gifts are different than my gifts. And your gifts are different than her gifts. And her gifts are different than his gifts. And we're different from one another, but we're all gifted. And we're all gifted uniquely. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we'll get to this sometime in the far distant future, he begins again to tell us about gifts. And he says in verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts. Again, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each one, there it is again. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, that's your gifts, for the common good. All right, there you go, Jesse, one more. Every gift is given for the common good. You've been gifted... For the common good of the church. That's so important. When I'll tell you another thing that uh, as I was thinking about our time in that village I was speaking about. Our guide was a man named Michael. young man named Michael. And uh, one time we were getting ready to leave and, and he pulled me aside. And we were in this little dirt parking lot and he pulled me aside and he said, Pastor Brian, I, said, I need your help. I said, sure, Michael. Said, what is it? And he said... I want you to tell me how I can become a mighty man of God. I said, well, what do you mean? Tell me what you mean, Michael. And he said, I want people to see me coming. And I want them to see me and know that I'm a strong man. I want people to see me coming and I want them to, to know that I'm a mighty man in the church. I said, Michael. You've got it all wrong. God doesn't give you gifts to puff you up. God doesn't gift you so that others look at you and envy you. God doesn't gift you so that you can be the big man or the big woman. That's not what your gifts are for. Your gifts are so that you can serve the common good. You've been gifted To serve other people. If your gifts aren't being used to serve others, then your gifts are wasted. I was thinking about this in the context of people who stand on this platform and play music. So musicians, here you go. God has given you gifts. Would Would you agree with that? That our musicians, God has gifted them. I'm so grateful for them. In my first church, we had two pianists. Um, well, sometimes we had no pianist. But then sometimes we had two. And if one showed up, um, we could sing three or four different songs. If I gave her all week to practice, we could get through them. And then if one showed up, and what she typically did on Sunday nights, God bless her. She's a sweet woman, but she only knew one song. She could play it note by note with one finger. And we sang that song every Sunday night for all the time that I pastored in that church. 
And so anywhere I go and God has gifted the church with musicians, I say, thank God. Thank God. So church, you should be grateful. Thank, thank God that we have them. But God, this is just an illustration. I can pick on them because they're, I'm up here with them. God has given you those gifts to serve the church. Not so that we can be fulfilled just in, our, in and of ourselves. Or not so people can say, look, they play so well, they sing so well. That's not what it's about. The gifts are for the church. And if the gifts aren't serving the church and building up the church, then it's a waste. We might as well not do it at all. And every other gift that you've been given... Every other type of gift that God has put inside of you, understand that it exists first, primarily, above all other reasons for the sake of the common good of the body of Christ for building up the church, which remember from several weeks ago, is the very witness to the world of the wisdom of God. That's what your gifts are for. So every gift, every believer is gifted. Every believer is gifted uniquely. Every gift is for the common good. We're not lacking anything. The problem in the Corinthian church wasn't a lack of gifts. It was an abuse and misunderstanding of the gifts God had given them. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. Write it down if you can. I should have put it up for you, but I won't. But listen. In order for you to live to your full potential as a Christian, and in order for the church to reach its highest potential, every believer must be using their gifts to serve others and build up the body of Christ. Did you hear it? Okay, you didn't hear it. In order for you to live to your full potential as a Christian, and in order for the church to reach its highest potential, Every believer must be using their gifts to serve others and build up the body of Christ. You get it that time? Every believer must be using their gifts to serve others and build up the body of Christ. Now, I'm going to do like Paul. And now we've talked about what we need to talk. We've built the case. And now let me take the second half, which isn't the second half. I promise I'll do this faster. But let me just... Answer practically what I think some of you are saying right now in your head and in your heart. You can almost hear it. I want to use my gifts, Pastor. I would love to serve others. I'd love to be obedient like this. I'd love to be a part of that. The problem is, I have no idea how I've been gifted. So how do I discover my gifts? So I'm going to try to answer that really quickly, really quickly, in the most practical way that I can. And this is a subject that for me, I think that we, uh, we overdo it, we overcomplicate it, we get way uh, too involved in the idea that this, there, there's some type of, of process that each of us needs to pass through in order to discover our gifts and that other people can help us by giving us tests and assessments. And those aren't necessarily bad, by the way. If you've done spiritual gift assessments, we've done them here. I've given them to some of you. They're not necessarily bad. I just don't know that they're always very helpful. I mean, you can get books on spiritual gifts. I typed in spiritual gifts into Amazon just out of curiosity this week. I immediately got over 50,000 results of books on spiritual gifts. So have at it. I don't think it's going to be very helpful to you, though. 
You can go to conferences. You can listen to simulcasts. You can get on YouTube and try to discover your spiritual gifts. But I'm telling you, it's, it doesn't have to be so complicated. I'm going to give you two things. They're just keys really quick. They're really practical. They're really easy. Two things that I promise you will help you discover your spiritual gifts so that you can begin serving others and serving the church and being part of the body of Christ. Number one, focus on being part of things that excite you. It's so easy. And and that may be a really horrible choice of words because I don't mean excited in the way that my son gets excited when I buy him a Hot Wheels. You know, I don't mean that. I don't mean like, wow, wow, I'm, I'm so excited. What I mean is like the things that move you internally. Like the, 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 the things that you seem to be drawn to or that fulfill you when you do them. You know, be a part of the things that interest you, that motivate you. Something that you're naturally drawn to. And all of us have things in our life that seem to naturally just excite us internally. We want to do them. We want to be a part of them. I'll give you an example from my own life. Um, One of the ways that I know that God has gifted me to preach, I know it sounds weird to talk about your own gifts, so there's no boasting here, because I think I wish, I pray to God that I could be a better preacher. But one of the ways I know that this is one of the gifts that God has given me is that uh, when I began preaching, it was the most disastrous thing that had ever happened ever in the Western Hemisphere. I promise you, it was horrible. Like, I remember the first time that I ever got to preach, and I did my best to prepare. I had no idea how to prepare a sermon. Which, by the way, if you wait until you have an idea how to do anything, you probably won't ever do anything. So I had no idea how to do it. I did my best. I wrote down my notes in a spiral uh, notebook, and then I ripped them out, Cleaned up the edges, you know how you do? And I had like four or five pages of handwritten notes. I went to the pulpit that day, and I remember standing in the pulpit, and my mouth got so dry, I wasn't even sure if I could talk. My hands were shaking. My voice was cracking. The outline was horrible. And then to top it all off, this is a true story. I got like two pages into my notes. I did one of these where I went to turn the page, and the page that appeared was like page one. I was lost. And so instead of saying, oh, I've lost my place in my notes, I said, that's all I got. <laughs> I just quit. I just quit. And I ended it, and, I, and then everybody in the church lied and said, oh, you did so good. I've, uh, it was just horrible. It was horrible. I'm telling you, it was miserable. And in the moment, I knew it. Like, no matter what people said to me that day, I knew that was really, really awful. Like, it couldn't have been worse. But it didn't take more than 24 hours for me to feel in my heart, I just want to be a preacher of the gospel. And I wanted to do it again. And I did it again, and it was bad again. And I did it again, and it was bad again. And, it, and just in time, it began to develop. But what I'm telling you is that there was a sense inside of me which the only thing that would satisfy me was to do the thing for which God had gifted me. And it didn't matter if in the beginning I stunk at it. But I wanted to do it. I was drawn to do it. It excited me to think about doing it. 
And for some of you, you just need to think about what are the things that excite you and start doing them. What are the things that you're drawn to? Like I think, I think God has put my wife and I together for many reasons, but one of the reasons is that in ministry, I'm horribly unobservant in life. But in ministry in particular, I will miss many of the things that are happening in your life that are just out in the broad daylight for me to see. I should see them. I should catch them. I should know that you're sad. I should know that you're suffering, that you were down today when I saw you. But sometimes I will just miss that. It's not because, let me tell you publicly, it's not because I don't love you. I love you, I pray for you, I'm concerned for you. I just am wired that way. But she can see it. And God has gifted her the gift of compassion. And those of you who know my wife know that there's nothing that excites her. That's a horrible word in this context, but I think you know what I mean. There's nothing that, that stirs her soul to action more than when somebody around her is hurting. And she, she just wants to do something for them. That's God's gift in her. And that's what I'm saying to you is think about the things that stir you, that excite you, that motivate you, and start doing them. If you feel drawn to something, it's probably because God has gifted you that way. So just start getting active in the things that God has given you and and things that God has interested you or or put an interest in you. But also here, and and we're very close to being done, so just hang on. This is the most practical of, of sermon points that you're probably ever going to get from me. And this is for those of you who say, okay, pastor, I get it. My problem is that I don't feel drawn to anything. Nothing excites me. I'm just vanilla all the time. Well, this one's for you. Here you go. Just do something. Anything. Anything. Just do it. Just do something. Did you know that one of the most effective ways for you to discover your spiritual, spiritual gifts is the process of elimination? Like when I first went into ministry or first started thinking that God was calling me into ministry, one of the things that I thought is, and I think a lot of young preachers do this, is, well, I'll, I'll go and do some youth ministry. Well, it only took me one time. I'm not even, like, I'm serious. And those of you who know me know I love our youth. Like, I'm serious. You won't find anybody, anybody who's more concerned for the well-being of the youth in this church than me. I love them dearly. I think of them when I'm preparing my sermons. I pray for them, my own youth and yours. But it didn't take me long to figure out God has not gifted me there. Really. I had a lady who served with us in Team Kid Children's Ministry years ago. And I had to go to her a couple weeks in and say to her, um, I want you to understand I love you, but God has not gifted you here. And she agreed very quickly. She was glad that I let her off the hook. But just do something. And you'll find that some things excite you and some things don't. That You'll find that some things along the way... You'll, you'll all of a sudden decide, this is my thing. This is the thing God has wired me up for. And along the way, the side benefit of this, which is wonderful, is that the church and the people of God are being served by you as you figure out your gifts. Just do something. Like volunteer to serve in the children's ministry. And you may find, by the way, I, I'm not great with youth, but I, if I wasn't preaching, I'd be back there. I love being with the kids. I love that. 
You might find that God has gifted you that way or sign up for the meal train. I love the meal trains that our church does. It's a wonderful ministry. Sign up and do something that way. Just make a meal and take it to somebody. Go to a nursing home. Go to a nursing home and visit people. You may find that that that, that wells up inside of you some type of joy just to be there and serve people who are forgotten about many times. Go there and do that. Or, Or go to Ghana this summer. Get on a plane. Go to Ghana with us this summer and teach VBS in some village there with us, and you may find that God's given you a heart for that type of thing, for, for missions, or, or invite a family over for dinner. God may have gifted you with a, um, uh, with a gift of hospitality, or go visit somebody in the hospital, or stay behind and, and clean up on a Wednesday night, and you may find that God has gifted you just to serve in the gift of service, or step in and teach a class when a teacher's missing. I mean, it's a known, by the way, that God, I believe, has gifted more of you than you think to teach. And you'll probably never teach unless you just decide to teach when you have the opportunity. But eventually, eventually, you will find something that you know God has gifted you in. Listen to what I'm about to say, and we're going we're gonna to wrap up. And uh, Gary, you can, you can come on up and just play for us and I'm going to wrap us up, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to be dismissed. But listen to what I'm about to say here. If you're struggling to grow spiritually, and you feel like there's a deficit in your relationship with God, and you feel like you just wish you could reach the next level, I just desperately want you to know, it's not because God has withheld Himself from you. It's not because God has not provided you with every gift you need. 